One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores how Bob Jones University empowers individuals to reach their highest potential for God's glory. Well, most people that are listening today are well aware of the current crisis with the coronavirus here in the United States of America. Last week at Bob Jones University, we made a decision to have our students complete all their classes on Friday. Uh, we suspended classes this week, and uh, we are going to go on an online format beginning in a couple of weeks. Uh, this is uh, we we were actually uh, made the decision and came out uh, as I mentioned last Thursday, and so with that in mind, uh, I've decided to ask some of our professors here from the university to come in and talk to us about coronavirus, and we have with us here. Uh, Dr. Gary Weir. He's the Executive Vice President for Academics and Provost here at Bob Jones University. And Dr. Weir, thanks for being with us here today. Well, thank you, Dr. Pettit. Glad to join you. So tell me what's happening here on campus. Well, there's a lot of activity of faculty getting ready to teach online, and there's a lot of activity of of students making their way home and and getting adjusted to that. So it's getting quieter, but it's still busy. Well, one of the things I'm most thankful for is our uh, scope school here, the School of Online uh, and Professional Education, and uh, of continuing, and you go ahead and say that, School of (laughs) Continuing Online and Professional Education. That's it. That's it. You got it right there. I got it, Scope. And uh, we we are able to uh, teach our students online. Absolutely. And uh, so we are are prepared for this event here. And uh, this is uh, a lot, this is on people's mind a lot because of the decisions that are going on in the government and the society. Right. And so uh, tell us about uh, how it is at Bob Jones University where we're actually able to help people understand this virus. Sure. Uh, The Lord has blessed us. Uh, A couple years ago, we made the decision to start a school of health professions, and it's actually our fastest growing school within the university. And we, God has just directed some outstanding individuals to be part of that faculty. And we actually have a couple of them right here with us today. And they're here to tell us about coronavirus. So introduce them for us. Absolutely. So the first one is Dr. Amy Hicks. She serves as assistant professor and chair of the Division of Health Sciences. Uh, She's been with us here for four years at the university as a faculty member. She has a PhD in biochemistry from Wake Forest University School of Medicine also has a Master's of Public Health from Liberty University, and she teaches courses such as public health, global health, population health management in our School of Health profession. So we are thrilled to have Amy with us, uh, Dr. Hicks. And then we also have our newest um, professor in the School of Health Professions, Associate Professor Dr. Bernard Cadio, who truly has an amazing story of how God uh, led him here to BJU, and we look forward to sharing that story uh, in the coming days or coming coming weeks. But Dr. Cadio has his medical de- degree. He's a medical doctor, and that's from the Ivory Coast uh, in Africa, uh, where he was where he was born and raised and came to know the Lord as, as his Savior. He also has a Master's of Public Health from a uh, combination of education in Egypt and France, again, an unusual background. 
and he is completing his PhD from the University of Ottawa School of Health Science uh, in health science um, as well. And Dr. Cadio has had unique opportunities to do research uh, in, the, in the spread of viruses. In fact, he, he was part of a, a grant from the Institute of Space Medicine in France where he helped to develop a model for the forecast of spread of diseases such as meningitis and, and the measles. So uh, we're thrilled to have Dr. Cadio with us. He teaches classes in anatomy and physiology, also global health uh, program management, and healthcare delivery and organization. So I'm glad that you'll have opportunity to interact with uh, our two professors here. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Weir. Well, thank you, Dr. Hicks and Dr. Cadio, being with us here today. I know that our audience will be very interested in hearing from you. And so let's just jump right into it. Uh, obviously, the disease that, that's affecting us today is called coronavirus. And Dr. Cadio, uh, could you just kind of give us a little background to the disease? And, and then, then, of course, how did it come here to the United States? Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, the COVID-19 stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. And uh, coronaviruses are a large family of, of viruses. And in general, they are not found in humans. They are found in uh, animals, especially in birds, uh, in bats, for example. But sometimes it happens because of kind of proximity between humans and animals. You can see them uh, crossing the species barrier, which we call a spillover. And this is exactly what happened a little over six weeks ago in China. Uh, we think that the case zero started in a live animal market in mm -hmm. China. What happened there was the surveillance system started noticing some kind of uh, abnormal cases of increased respiratory diseases. And uh, that was unusual because uh, in general you have some, yes, during the winter you have some a number of certain flu-like symptoms. But what was happening there in Wuhan was a little more like than a, a normal uh, uh, winter flu uh, outbreak. So they went a little bit deeper and found out that actually all the respiratory symptoms were connected to a new type of virus that was called the coronavirus. So, so you're saying the virus actually came from some particular animals and then it spread to the humans. It looks like it. Yeah. And how would it spread to humans? You have uh, different theories there. Uh, we are thinking by proximity, by contact uh, between humans and animals. We also have some theories saying that there is a probably what we call an intermediary host animal, which is kind of part of the food chain in China. I see. That might be, have served as a connection between the bats and the humans. Yeah. So would, 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 would doctors and scientists, would they know about this virus before six weeks ago or two months ago? Actually, that's a very interesting question. We have studies that have been conducted in 2015 here in the U.S., actually very close from here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We have a study that was conducted by a strong team there, and they found out that there was a kind of coronavirus in bats that were very susceptible to be transmitted to humans and trigger outbreaks of the type of, of the SARS that was seen in 2003. Oh, so yes, it has been known by the scientific community for, uh, since 2015. And uh, so how, how, how does it spread? What makes it so infectious? 
Well, uh, it's a flu-like uh, virus, so it's spread through the uh, respiratory system when people breathe, for example. However, it's uh, just six weeks, so we are not sure if it's also transmitted through what we call the fomites surfaces, for example, that might have been contaminated by the virus. So people can just touch touch the countertops. More likely and, so. More likely and, so. And pick it up. Unfortunately. So um, what what when somebody gets it? I mean, obviously it's flu. Mm-hmm. It's it's dangerous for some more than others. Uh, who does this affect the most? So far, based on data collected from uh, highly affected areas, China and Italy, it looks like there is a kind of selectivity in the age limit. People aged over 65 are more likely at risk compared to younger people, and especially also if you have a type of comorbidity, uh, you are more at risk of developing a more serious form of a disease. Let's say here that in 85% of the cases, we have very minor symptoms that do not even require uh, a medical care, but you still have those 15% of the cases where you need medical attention, and this is where the major fear is. I see. So, uh, and Dr. Hicks, please jump in at any time if you want to add to this. I was just going to add to that that um, we are more, most concerned, of course, for the elderly population, but it is a concern for people who have, as he said, underlying comorbidities or they already have illnesses. So for people who are immune compromised. Comorbidities, that's that's a scientific term. Yes, that is, meaning they already have other medical conditions. I see. So So cancer Yes, people who are taking chemotherapy and have a very poor immune system. People, there's there's, uh, been shown to be some issues with even hypertension, people who have lung disease. So they're at a higher risk of not only contracting it, but of those symptoms becoming much more severe than the normal population. I see. So uh, that was six weeks ago or so, a couple of months ago. And then um, where is China on it right now? Well, as far as we know. It looks like we are seeing a a decrease in the cases in China. And uh, as of last week, the Chinese government has actually requested workers to go back to work, which is a good indicator. However, we have some kind of concerns there because uh, we have, based on the numbers that we are seeing, it looks like now China have more imported cases as compared to local cases. I see. So there is still, yes, it's manageable. However, there is still that fear. Are we going to see a rebound in China? As of now, there are no indication of that. But yeah, there is a very good decrease uh, in uh, the number of cases in China. So here we are in the United States. Obviously, there's a, a, a pretty significant reaction that's taken place, primarily starting really last Wednesday night with the announcement of the president and then the closing of the NBA games. Uh, we were making decisions here at Bob Jones University, and by, by Wednesday, we had decided to close the school this coming Friday, which was the beginning of our spring break. But after the president's announcement, we went ahead and decided to close the school on Friday. Um, so why such a big reaction now and, and where this is going? And, 
And what do you, I mean, if you were to advise what we need to be doing here, what would that be? Well, I think that we have the benefit in the U.S. of having seen how this plays out in Asia, in parts of China. We've had the benefit of seeing how this is playing out in Europe. And so um, we can more quickly implement some of the steps that they've had to do kind of after the fact. So trying to stave off this huge increase, this explosive uh, increase of new cases. And so in order to do that, there's really only two ways you can do that. And basically, you stay home and or you quarantine people or you um, wear protective equipment everywhere you go. And so we don't have that kind of protective equipment, obviously, so we stay home. And the issue is not so much. I know a lot of people think it's flu-like symptoms. It's no big deal. But the issue really is that on top of our already our current flu system, our, our current flu season, and uh, our healthcare system operating at a very high capacity anyway, we have to be able to uh, stop the explosive uh, spread of this in order to maintain our current healthcare system. Do you think do do you think we have any idea of how much is spread currently? Um well the spread to what we are we are seeing from around the world, you have uh, in general you have two phases actually. You have one phase that you can qualify as a linear a linear increase in the number of uh, cases. And uh, at that phase, it's kind of manageable. And then you have a second phase where you, it becomes no more linear, but it's exponential. And like Dr. Heck said, there is absolutely no health system in the world that can manage an exponential uh, growth of incidence of any kind of disease, and uh, much less of a disease that is going to require highly specific care like ventilators, like ICU. There is absolutely no health system in the world. So where we are, from what I understand you're saying, is that we have the linear growth, one one step after another, but you could have an an explosion. Exponential. And uh, and, uh, this is what we have seen from countries like China, uh, from countries like Italy, Italy. and uh, yes, you have that window of linear growth where you have to kind of implement measures of, we call them containment measures. You have two options. You have containment measures, and then you have environmental measures, mm. which is disinfections and but containment. That's where uh, during the linear phase, containment will be your best option. Because when it becomes exponential, then even containment, you have questions, question marks. There. So we're, you would say right now we're in the, it, it, at least it appears like we're in the linear stage. And yes. in, in so mm-hmm. the idea of closing the schools, the restaurants, the travel mm-hmm. is for the purpose of containment. Correct. Staying uh, in that linear phase. So mm-hmm. let's, let's look forward. So uh, let's look forward the next month, okay, or in the next six weeks. Let's, let's go to the end of April. Uh, what what do you foresee as the best thing for us to be doing? Well, I think that it's, uh, of course, a really good idea if anyone is sick at all with any of the symptoms that uh, are characteristic of this virus. So those would be a fever and coughing and shortness of breath. So not just seasonal allergies where we're worried about everybody who coughs, but if they're also running a significant fever, they need to stay in. 
they need to stay away from other people for at least 14 days, and that we need to be aware that it's not just the fact that if we're young and healthy, we might be impacted mildly, but we can take this to somebody who's going to be impacted much, much more severely. So we stay in, and we go ahead and and follow the directives of the public health system, follow the directives that the governors are putting out, and um, allow ourselves to be inconvenienced in this way. So so where we are right now, um, we're in the right spot, we're doing the right thing. Would you agree with that, or do we need to be more aggressive about it? It it all depends on results that will be coming from the surveillance system. Uh, right now, we have we are implementing good measures uh, as a country by, for example, using what we call a defensive uh, containment. This is shutting down uh, uh, travels from inside the U.S. Uh, from areas with high incidence. So that's the kind of defensive measures. Uh, We are also implementing some kind of offensive measures by asking people to stay home if they feel sick, which is, so we have very, very strong measures. However, we still have one level, and that's going to depend again on the results that we collect from the surveillance system. The other level would be like they are doing in Italy, shut down completely. Uh, any kind of movement inside the country. And uh, to what we are hearing from the public health authorities in the U.S. is all options are on the table. So the next step, if we are not seeing the expected result, might be, for example, what's going on there in New Rochelle? What's going on there in Seattle? And uh, if we are not satisfied with the result, then we might have to take some further steps. For yes, uh, tougher measures. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So... Um, is there is is there presently any hope for a vaccine? Where would that come from? What what does that look like? Yes, there are many places that are working on vaccines right now, and um, the idea behind that, of course, would be fantastic because right now we are a what's called a naive population, meaning this is the first time that the human population has ever been exposed to this, so everyone is at risk. Um, if we can implement a vaccine similarly to uh, the flu vaccine, you know, we can get 40, 50 percent of our population vaccinated for this. Then we have that many fewer people that can carry. And we're going to have this more of an underlying protection next time this comes around, next time we see it. And there is a very good perspective for a vaccine, although for uh I referenced a study that was published earlier uh, in 2015 whenever the Chapel Hill uh, group was conducting that experiment. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. absolutely. They, they failed, actually, to identify a very strong uh, reactivity in terms of creating a vaccine. However, the, the, there is a good hope in terms of vaccine. And uh, to what I heard, I think there is a team in Seattle Right now, if not today or tomorrow, they will try the first vaccine possible. And this is possible because of something unique that we have never seen in the global health uh, realm, actually. On December 31st, when the cases started uh, increasing in China, China took a step very interesting. A week later, which is on January 6th, they released 
the DNA sequence, actually it's RNA sequence, of the, the, virus. the what DNA? RNA. Uh, RNA. Uh, RNA, yeah, okay. of, of the, the, the genome of the virus, and they made it public. This gave a strong potential to all research teams all over the world to not only know the virus, but also to be able to do two things. Number one, to have a diagnostic test, and number two, to develop a vaccine using new method, even compared to the old type of vaccine, because that vaccine is going to be based on the uh, genome of the virus. Yeah, so the DNA gives you direction of which way to go exactly. for a vaccine. Exactly. And just for mm -hmm. an update, the, that mm -hmm. first vaccine actually was tested today. Exactly. So yeah. Kaiser Permanente up in uh, Seattle <laughs> okay. has administered their first vaccine test. Absolutely. So this is a big day. This is very fast. Very, very, very fast. fast. Very fast. Mm -hmm. so, um, so going forward in the future right now, so here we are. Uh, today is, uh, what is today? Today is the 16th of March. Uh, it's hard to say when we think this will be over. It's very difficult to say because we don't know whether or not we're going to stay in the linear or it's going to be explosive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, what, you know, but everybody's still thinking about the future. I mean, everybody's thinking what, what kind of, um, what we can talk about the hope in the Lord. We'll get there in a minute, but just kind of what are your, if you have any forecasting uh, possibilities, maybe I should say that. In, in terms of forecasting, it's going to be, you have different factors there that you will have to put in your equation, in your model. The number one of those factors will be how do countries respond in a globally connected world? That's very big because, like I said, we mentioned earlier, we are seeing returning cases to China. And uh, that's scary because you don't want a rebound mm -hmm. in incidents. So how will different countries collaborate on internationally? That's going to be a main factor. So far, you have continents like uh, African countries, they haven't been even at the verge at, of the beginning of the outbreak yet. So let's say, for example, we are successful in containing the virus in China, in, uh, in the American continent, in Europe, and nothing is done for Africa, it's going to backfire at the end of the day. So it is a, it is a world problem. It, it, is, a it is a world problem. problem. And uh, so what's going to happen in the coming four months based on different models, it, it's more likely that it's good to make a, project, a, a form of pro, pro, uh, projection so far. So what's going to happen will depend on the international global health community, international cooperation. That's big in the equation. I see. And I think it also very much mm -hmm. depends on us as individuals. Mm -hmm. So us in a local community, we also have to do our part. I have people ask me a lot, do you think this is overblown? And I think we're beyond necessarily that being an important question or a useful question. We're to the point where whether or not we think this is political, whether we think this is what we would have done, uh, we are having more and more mandates put on us by the government, more and more requests and strong recommendations. And it's our duty as citizens to abide by that, to show concern for others by how we don't go out if we've been exposed by how we um, respect the the 
procedures that have been put in place for us. And so we each of us have a role to play in this because on an individual level of people who are going to show symptoms, only about half of them will show symptoms within five days, but they can be walking around for those five days spreading (laughs) virus to everybody else. So before you even know you have it, maybe days and days before you know you have it, you can already be giving this to other people. So that's really the, uh, the compassion, I guess, behind what we're trying to do here at the school, here in our churches, here everywhere we go, is to um, do our part. So the top three or four things everybody should be doing, what are those? Wash your hands for 20 seconds with soap and water, warm water, frequently, lots and lots of times. So you have, just like Dr. Hicks said, hand hygiene, respiratory hygiene, environmental cleaning, and uh, follow the procedures. Avoid, avoid going out in public if need be. If need be. Right. Mm-hmm. If you are concerned at all that you have been exposed, if you are in a high-risk group, then sure. Yeah. Just stay home, take care. And lay low. And lay low. That's okay. right. But one thing I would also say is that for those who are not at as high as risk, be on the lookout for those who are. So within our churches, if somebody needs to go into quarantine, they're going to need people to support them. They're going to need deliveries of food dropped off. Now that schools are, are you know, uh, canceled or at least delayed for a while, that impacts certain people much more heavily than it impacts others. Right. It impacts people who cannot work from home, who have this choice of deciding whether or not they're going to stay home and lose their job or they're, how they're going to behave in a quarantine. And so this is going to require God's people to be good citizens and good neighbors. So this is a great opportunity for God's people to do what they should do. Absolutely. And that's to serve the body of Christ. For sure. And their neighbors. And their neighbors. Be aware of single mothers who need to work, and now they have children at home. Great opportunity to share the gospel. For sure. And the hope that we have in Christ. When you think of all the plagues in the Bible and the pestilences and the diseases Mm -hmm. and how that Christ came to heal us of all those diseases. Well, thank you, Dr. Cardio. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I would uh, also like uh, to add to what Dr. Hicks said that there is also a career opportunity for our students at the School of Health Profession. Uh, at Bob Jones, we have that vision of being uh, at the service of our community, reaching out with, uh, in a scientific manner with evidence-based research reaching out to our community, reaching out to our world through health programs. And uh, this crisis shed a new light Mm. of the need of people that are going to be uh, not, like Dr. Hicks said, not only medical doctors, not only nurses, but something a little more. Uh, Give care but beyond care, give love. And Mm, we know how to do that Mm. at Bob Jones University. We know how to do that at the School of Health Profession. Mm. Uh, So there is a career opportunity for our students. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Dr. Cadio and Dr. Hicks. Thank you. I'd like to close by reading a quote from Martin Luther, who in his day, they faced a disease called the Black Death. And I'd like to read what he said as a response to this as a Christian. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, 
help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person. I shall go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Amen. That's a wonderful statement from Martin Luther for us today. Thank you both. And may the Lord bless us and use these times for his glory. Thanks for listening to this episode of Highest Potential with Steve Pettit. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to follow BJU on social media at BJUEDU and Dr. Steve Pettit at at BJU President.